right. Well, there's a lot of people here. There's a lot of people out in the lobby, and there's even people in the overflow with the youth room. So this is, <laughs> you guys packed in here. Uh, congratulations. Um, so if you don't like it being this snug, you can come to the next service. It's, you know, there's more room there. Um, but I'm, I'm just, I'm, it doesn't bother me. I've got plenty of room up here. It doesn't matter. <laughs> so it's exciting to see, though. And um, wh- what I love about this is you guys are coming to hear the word of God. You're coming to hear the scriptures be taught. You're coming here to worship and to fellowship. And what a beautiful thing it is. So thank you, Lord. Speak to us. Here in Hebrews 10, verses 26 through 39, I'm just going to call this study endurance. And if you remember in chapter 10, we, the, the opening verses 1 through 25, he's talking about how there's, you know, the blood of bulls and goats. It can no longer, it can never take away the sins. But it had to be a better sacrifice. And that better sacrifice was Jesus. He died once and for all. All of the old covenant stuff were, were shadows. The substance was Jesus. They, they, there was something there in those sacrifices, but they all ultimately were pointing to Jesus. And this group of people is considering going back to the shadows and forsaking this. Now, I say that these people were considering. So were they actually considering? This is the interesting thing. Was it just that some had done that? And so that was the, uh, uh, you know, kind of the sin that was out there. And he's writing to make certain this group that solid never does that and gives them a warning. It seems to be, and uh, you'll see that. But there's a lot for us to consider in this passage. Let's read beginning at chapter 10, verse 26. We'll take it down to verse uh, 31. For if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation and will devour the adversaries. Anyone who has rejected Moses' law dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Of how much worse punishment do you suppose will be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing, and insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. We'll stop right there as we take some time to consider this warning that's been given to believers. I do believe these are, are believers. I don't think this are, these are people who are not believers. I, I don't think you can read this and come away with any other conclusion from the text. Now, you could come into it with the idea that there's no way he could have possibly said these types of things to a believer, and you can get that presupposition, and you can jam it in here. But if you just read this passage, it's like, these are believers. These are people that are following Jesus Christ, and he gives them this this warning. The first thing we see in verse 26 is that there's only one sacrifice for sin. Now, I believe that. This is a unique portion of scripture written to a unique group of people. And I say that because, just think about it, for 2,000 years, they had sacrificed, no longer than 2,000 years, but they had made sacrifices um, there at the temple. 
because God commanded them. The law of Moses was given to them saying, bring the bull, bring the goat. If you're here on Wednesday nights, we're going through the Pentateuch and it talks about all of these sacrifices that they had to make. And so they, they were used to do that by the commandment of God. This isn't makeup stuff. God told them to do that. And as they worshiped with those sacrifices, they were looking forward to the ultimate forgiveness the Lord would provide. Although they probably didn't understand it completely, the Lord knew that as they looked in faith, they were looking to Jesus. And so then everything that, when Jesus died, all of that grace flowed backwards, if you will, into their life, and they received their forgiveness. But then the day came. I'm on Resurrection Sunday, don't do that anymore. Whew. I mean, that's a tremendous change, don't you think? I mean, if, if, how do you handle change? You know, how do you handle it if, you know, something is different? Well, typically people don't respond well to change. Think about that change. Now, it was prophesied it was coming, but it still is a radical change. And so there are those that are like, yeah, we see it. We see what the prophet said. We believe in Jesus. He is that one that is a sacrifice for sin. And they embraced Jesus. But then they began to no longer be invited to the family dinners. And now their countrymen were no longer going and purchasing their goods at their business. And they began to be persecuted. They began to have their homes ransacked. They began to see each other thrown into prison and beaten up. And, and so there was a tremendous pressure upon them. And the pressure was like, just come back. We're still offering sacrifices here. What's the big deal? You know, we always did this. And now you just want to do Jesus. And so he writes to them. He says, after you've received the knowledge of the truth, after you understand who Jesus Christ is, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin. What does that mean? For if you willfully sin after we receive the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. I'll tell you what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that once you get saved, you can never, ever, ever mess up again. Now, I'm not advocating for it, but I think we can go to other places in John. He who says he does not sin is a liar, right? I mean, we know that we're still a work in progress. So what is it talking about? I believe that if we take that context that was unique to them, that although... You know, if you will, two years ago, you were going to the temple and you're making sacrifices. If you want to walk away from Jesus because there's just too much pressure and you want to go back and start offering up those sacrifices again, guess what? There is no sacrifice for sins in the temple anymore. There used to be, and it was looking forward to the day that Jesus would come. The shadows used to be there, but now that the substance has come, you don't go back to the shadows. So you can't go back to the temple. Yeah, okay, and, and Ezra's day, and Jeremiah's day, and Isaiah's day, and David's day, and Ruth, and Esther, they all could go to the temple. Okay, maybe a little difficult in Esther because they're in exile, but you get the idea here. That you, you could go there and you could offer the sacrifice because God commanded that it should be offered there. But if you want to go there now, since Jesus has come and he's died and he's risen from the dead, and you want to go back and you think you're going to find forgiveness of sins there, you're wrong. It's not there for you. And so there is only one sacrifice for sin, and that is Jesus. Verse 27 through 31, you see the consequences of rejecting this grace. I mean, this is some of the strongest, you know, warning you will find anywhere in the Bible. He says you're not going to find forgiveness, but what you will find 
if you reject Jesus, is a fearful expectation of judgment. Fiery indignation, which will devour the adversaries. And if you think, wow, this sounds like a you know, fire and brimstone message. I guess it is, according to verse 27. Fiery indignation. The Bible does talk about judgment, and it does talk about how there will be um, eternal flames. Now, it doesn't use the word eternity here, but I do believe this is referring to the eternal judgment. I don't think this is just talking about, you know, the correcting of of, of a brother or sister. I think this is talking about those who will endure the eternal wrath of God. And so... He writes to them and says, listen, you're going to walk away from Jesus, but you're going to walk right into God's judgment. Are you sure you want to do that? It's a certain expectation of judgment. And he gives the example there in verses 28 and 29. Well, if you rejected the law of Moses, if you decided, hey, let's just go over to that town, let's just worship an idol, and then you were seen worshiping an idol. They could bring that back to the, to the leaders of the country. And they could say, we saw this person worshiping and bowing down to, you know, to Baal and sacrificing there. And on the mouth of two or three witnesses, that person would be put to death according to the law of Moses. If in the law of Moses, if you rejected it and you went and did your own thing, you could expect there to be judgment. They all would have said, that's right. And he's like, well, what do you think is going to happen if you reject this greater covenant? If you you rejected Moses and there was judgment, but what happens if you reject his son? Do you think there's not going to be judgment? And listen, there are a lot of people who are selling that. They're saying, hey, you can go live however you want to. I mean, it was the law that brought judgment. But, you know, under Jesus, it's all grace. I don't think they've ever studied these verses. Because... They actually, the argument is from the lesser to the greater. If the lesser Moses had judgment, how much do you, greater judgment do you think is going to be associated with the greater covenant? So it's not, that's not what you find in Scripture. Is that you can live however you want to and do whatever you want to. And I think specific to this passage is if you want to jettison Jesus from your life and you think everything's going to be okay, you can just get rid of him and go live in your own new ideology. And you get rid of him and you think it's all going to be okay. It's not. It doesn't teach. The Bible doesn't teach that. It doesn't matter what other people say. It doesn't matter what I say. Read your Bible. Understand what it's saying, and what it's saying is is speaking to us of the necessity to remain and abide in Him. Verse 29, it says, Of how much worse punishment do you suppose will He be thought worthy? And the He here is a person who's willfully sinning and rejecting the truth of Jesus. The person who rejects Jesus, He will be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot. That's, I mean, Do you think the father is going to look kindly upon that? Counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing. So the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us, it sanctifies us, it redeems us. And if you want to look at the blood of Jesus Christ and think of that first century group, the blood of Jesus Christ, it's like, yeah, but we can go back and we can still do the bulls. We can still do the goats. We can still do the the lambs. I mean, there's still sacrifices we're offering. We're still offering up blood. He's like, time out. Jesus is way different than a bull or a goat. Don't treat the sacrifice of the Son of God as a common thing. 
This is unique and this is different. And he says, and you insult the spirit of grace. So those that would look at at the the offering of the Lord and saying, come to me and you'll be forgiven. Jesus Christ bore your guilt and shame on the cross and he will redeem you and he will give you life. And you hear that and you receive that and you say, no, thank you. I want something else. You think that you can insult the spirit of grace without consequence? And so this is a passage that is writing a warning. These believers were watching some that were no longer, as we read last week, they were no, gath- no longer gathering together among the believers. Presumably they, they're like, that's too difficult. We are walking away. It wasn't just like they didn't go to church for a couple of weeks, okay? It's not that. It's that they were like made a conscious decision to say we're done with Jesus and the church and all of that. And he says, don't do that. You need to be coming together. And that was the insult to the spirit of grace. I mean, imagine standing before the Father when he asks you about what you did with the sacrifice of his son, the Lamb of God. If you were to respond and say, well, yeah, I heard about that and I decided I just didn't want that. Well, that's the only way you can receive grace. And for by grace you are saved. It's not through works. So you've got to come into the presence of God by grace because you can't get there by works. So how is this grace disseminated? It's disseminated through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. Is it amazing grace? It's amazing grace. Is it abundant grace? It's abundant grace. Is it free? It's free. But it does not mean that it's grace that comes through any means whatsoever. It's very narrow how it comes through. It comes through the Lord. But once it comes out of that, that, that you know, fountain right there, it spreads far and wide into our life. But you, but you just can't, you can't dismiss and trample Jesus and say, oh, I don't care if he died on the cross and rose from there. It doesn't matter. You can't do that without there being severe consequences. And you see in verses 30 and 31, he says, vengeance is mine. I'm going to repay. To who? To the one who willfully rejects Jesus Christ and says, I don't want anything to do with him. I don't need his sacrifice. I can go do life without it, and I think I'll get to heaven, and my sins will be dealt with just fine. You can't do that. There is no hope for that person. There's no hope whatsoever. And this is what's trying to be communicated here. At the end of every man, woman, and child's life, they're going to stand before the Lord, and they will hear a pronouncement of their eternal destination. God's hands have the power to save, and God's hands have the power to judge. And no one should expect to find mercy or grace apart from the atoning work of Jesus Christ. Is he... Does he show grace? Absolutely. Does he show mercy? Yes. It's as high as the heavens, and it's new every morning. So just in case you got up to the heights of God's available mercy yesterday, good news. When you woke up this morning, it started all over again. So it's there, but, it, but it's not just in any form. You've got to come and receive the mercy that the Lord is giving through the means by which he's giving it. So those who reject Jesus trample his grace are being told here, expect to deal with the wrath of God. 
In verses 32 through 39, he tells them, he reminds them of where they've come from, and he's going to tell them to abide in their hope. Stay put. Don't move from this spot. And so in verses 32 through 34, let's read those together. He's going to tell them to remember, to recall the zeal you used to have for Jesus. But recall the former days in which, after you were illuminated, so you, you come to understand who the Lord is. See, clearly these are Christians, right? But recall the former days in which, after you were illuminated, you endured a great struggle with sufferings, partly while you were made a spectacle by both reproaches and tribulations, and partly while you became companions of those who were so treated. For you had compassion on me and my chains and joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods, knowing that you have a better and an enduring possession for yourselves in heaven. These are some amazing verses. This group of people, when they got saved, they were all in. They were so zealous that even when tribulation came, they weren't like that one seed that was thrown upon you know, the, uh, the rocky ground that quickly gave sprout and you know, began to grow. But when the sun came out and scorched it, they, they weren't like that. This group of people, when, they, when their faith came to illumination, they began to believe, then the scorched the sun came out and scorched them, they stood fast. They didn't cower. They were spoken against. They were beaten, it would seem, from the word tribulations. They, they aligned themselves with those who were the leaders of the faith, like the author. He says, you, you identified with me, and you went through difficulty. You joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods. Your homes were ransacked. Your businesses were ransacked. And you no longer had the same stuff you had before coming to Jesus. But it didn't matter to you. Remember, recall those days where you endured all of this stuff. Now, evidently, they were, about, they were still dealing with these things. Or there was a fresh wave of these difficulties that were uh, coming down upon them. And he just says, you didn't cower. You didn't move. You didn't bow to those things. You know, we need to keep it all in perspective. You know, I... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of make light a little bit of the things we go through in comparison to what other believers has gone through. But before I do that, I also want to say, I understand that there are some of you, maybe what you're going through is not light. Maybe you're a wife who has faith in Jesus and you, are, you get physically abused for your faith in Jesus. And nobody knows that. It goes on in this country. Don't, let's not act like those types of things don't happen. So I'm not saying that there is no uh, legitimate persecution that, that happens to people where they actually pay for it in some way. But a lot of what we are worried about, I mean, just try, imagine these conversations with the Apostle Paul in heaven. Imagine saying, man, I've been waiting to talk to you. I know, I, I mean, church history says you like, you know, your head got chopped off. Yeah, my head got chopped off. Well, let me tell you what happened to me. I got deplatformed on social media. And it was a big deal because I had a lot of followers. Oh, you had followers. I thought we were following Jesus. And, and imagine trying to tell that conversation to those who have lost everything, their physical life. Yeah, I mean, I'll, like all these platforms totally rejected me and I could no longer, um, you know, share these things. 
Oh, that's interesting. I have no idea what you're talking about. Did you, did you lose your job? Did your house get ransacked? Did you, did you, you know, and it's possible you could lose your job. But so much of what we go through and the things that we say, well, I'm just really going through it, we would never share that in that scene. You could be in heaven talking with somebody else who's gone through the same thing. Yeah, so good to be up in heaven. No more government, no more this, no more these people trying to squeeze us out and, you know, silence us. And you're like, yeah, I know. Did you ever get, you know, silenced or you have your account removed on social media? Yeah, all, all of them got that. Wow, that's something. And up comes Daniel. Hey, what are you guys talking about? I'm Daniel, the prophet. Nothing. We're not talking about anything, actually. We're just saying how good it is to be here. So tell us about the lion's den. Would you tell us about that? And so I think we need to get a little bit of perspective. I'm not saying that getting passed over on your job or not getting the raise or having people yell at you or people that don't want to hang out with you. I'm not saying that those are insignificant things, but let's keep it in perspective. Let's keep an understanding. I mean, would you want to discuss the trouble you've gone through with the person that sat in some dark, dank jail for the last 20 years of their life over in some closed country to the gospel? And we say, yeah, I know exactly what you're going through. No, we don't. We don't. And this was a group of people that had so much zeal. They were standing firm, and they weren't going to get pushed back. What... Is there anything, I want you just in your mind, think that, is there anything that could push you away from Jesus? Is there anyone that could push you away from Jesus? I was talking with the staff, and it's, it's like, you, you hear this, like, yeah, I went to this church, and this bad thing happened at church, so I don't follow Jesus anymore. I had parents, and they weren't good, so I don't follow Jesus anymore. My husband, my wife, my whatever, and so I don't follow Jesus anymore. I listen to that, and I'm thinking, there is nothing anybody could ever do to me any amount of wrong that would then cause me to turn to Jesus and say, I'm done with you. That, that doesn't even, it doesn't even make sense. These people are sinning against me, which the Lord told them not to do, and which he condemns, and they sin against me, and they misrepresent him, and so then I turn around and say, I'm done with you, Jesus? There's, I, I don't care, all of you, please don't. There's a lot of you. All of you could turn against me and my family and do harm to us, but I'm not going to stop following Jesus because you did that. My, I'm not going to back down. And I think sometimes our faith is just a little too flimsy. It's like, well, this bad thing happened. Bad things happen. Read it. And yet they stood fast. What's the exhortation? Look at verses 35 and through, through 38. And I've put this kind of in a positive way. It says God's promises are of great value. But he says in verse 35 and 6, Therefore do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that after you've done the will of God, you may receive the promise. Man, the promises of God are so valuable. Why would we walk away from it? But this word, hupomeno, uh, for uh, endurance, means the capacity to hold out or bear up in the face of difficulty. Another word you could put in there for endurance is you have need of fortitude. You, you need to be able to stand in the face of these types of things. Do you hear that? Now, some people would say, well, it's kind of insensitive for you to say that nothing would ever happen. You don't know what I've gone through. Well, he knew what they went through, though, through and the trials they went through. 
And he still says you have need of fortitude. It is not insensitive. It is exactly what all of us need to hear. We need to buck up and be good soldiers. We should expect that the trials and the tribulations that we go through and the way people disappoint us is exactly what Jesus said, except for the fact that we just have not experienced a level of persecution and trouble in this country the way most of the church has throughout our history. And so I think each and every one of us should come to this resolution. You should be able to say it easily in your mind, Jesus, there is nothing that would ever happen in my life physically, emotionally, you know, financially, spiritually with among the brotherhood in my country. There's nothing that would ever cause me to back away from following you. And we don't want to be fair-weathered followers. Uh, Adam Clark writes, and he says, of this idea of, um, uh, you know, casting away your confidence. He says, there is a reference here to cowardly soldiers who throw away their shields and run away from battle. This is your shield, your faith in Christ, which gives you the knowledge of salvation. Keep it, and it will keep you. And so don't think for a second about casting these things away. And we can have no other confidence than Jesus Christ to make that point again. Only in Jesus Christ will we be able to stand before the Lord. Jude 24 and 25 says, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To God our Savior who alone is wise be glory and majesty, dominion and power both now and forever. Amen. It's Jesus that's going to enable you to stand before the Lord faultless. If you don't come before God through Jesus Christ, you will stand guilty. I will stand guilty. It's not because your sins are worse or less than anybody. It's just you, you either come to the place where you're forgiven or you go and you try to stand before the Lord on your own. He's our only confidence. Family ties will not get you into heaven. Well, my mom used to pray for me a lot. I think that I'm just hoping that'll get me in. Wrong hope. It's good that she prayed for you, but you've got to make your own confession of Jesus Christ. Well, you know, I'm an American. Yeah, don't do that one. Just, I mean, stick with mom. If you're going to say something that's not going to work, stick with mom. Don't stick with your country. But it's not our education. It's not our economics. It's not our ethnicity that gives us a better opportunity before the Lord. We all have equal need and we all have equal access to Jesus Christ. And if we come to Jesus Christ and we hold that confidence and we endure, we're going to inherit these amazing promises. Think of verse 37 and 38. For yet a little while, and he who is coming will come and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith. But if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. Jesus is going to come and it's not going to last forever. How long is he going to wait? We don't know. We don't know how long until Jesus comes back, but we know it's not going to be forever. And we want to be ready when he comes. <clears throat> and I believe, uh, it doesn't matter what your, your position is on eschatology, I believe the scripture wants all of us to be expecting his return every day of our life. To be looking up and hastening the return of the Lord, waiting for him, having an expectation. This is how the Lord wants us to live our life. 
and expecting him to come back. But if we are those who cast away our confidence, by the way, Satan can't take your confidence. An enemy can't take your confidence, your faith in Jesus. And the Lord will not take away your faith in him. He's not going to cast you away. If you cast it away, that is your decision. It's not the Lord's. And so he says, if you do that and you don't have faith in my son, I will have no pleasure in you. And I think a lot of people are walking away from Jesus Christ today who have grown up in the church and they're redefining all of the terms and they're coming up with a brand new religion, a brand new view of Christianity that the church has not held for 2,000 years. And they're like, well, you don't have to believe in Jesus and there is no judgment and there's, this isn't real and that's not real. And yet they still want to name the name of Jesus. But how do you even know the name of Jesus? Because you find it in the Bible. And yet you're taking the rest of the Bible and you're saying it doesn't, what it says is, is not accurate. It means this. It says that, but it actually means something else. But you don't know anything about Jesus apart from Scripture. So you're picking and choosing, and you've become the final arbitrator of what is true in Scripture. That's, that, I'm sorry, that's a, that takes a lot of pride to do that. I can read this book that's been around for thousands of years that says it's true, but I know it's not. And I can tell you what parts are true and what parts are not. You sound like David Koresh. That's what you sound like a false prophet or prophetess. I'm not just trying to be funny. That's, I mean, the anniversary of all that mess just have somebody don't even know what I'm talking about. But you pick a guy, pick a gal that just talks about, you know, that they're the Messiah. You have made yourself out. You figured out salvation on your own. And that should be something that should cause each of you to to tremble and tread carefully. So what does he say there? Let's wrap it up here. Verse 39. Exhortation to keep our eyes on Jesus. But we are not of those who draw back to perdition, but of those who believe to the saving of the soul. Here's the interesting thing about this passage. It's one of the most warning-filled passages you can find probably next to Hebrews 6. Those two are some of the most challenging passages to continue in Jesus. And he talks about the fiery judgment and those that reject Christ and and don't look to him for their sacrifice, how there is no salvation. And he warns. I mean, it's a warning. But then he says, but. You see it there? So all these that are thinking about drawing back and, and pulling away and casting in their confidence, all those that do that, he says, but we. So the writer includes himself along with the the listeners. But we are not of those who draw back to perdition. So it is a warning passage. It is meant to warn. Any interpretation of this passage that would be given out, that would remove a warning, that would cause us to say, well, I'm glad none of that could ever apply to me, I think it does disservice to the text. But I also think it does disservice to the text to not finish it. Because he's writing to a group of people. He says, now listen, I know this is going on. And some are casting it away. And some are no longer looking to Jesus. But I don't think that's true of you. And he says the same thing in Hebrews 6. He goes, but I, I, have, better, I have a better confidence concerning you. We should not, in passages like this, walk away and say, well, um, 
you know, he clearly is not writing to believers, therefore this can never happen, so I don't need to be concerned with how I live my life. That would be a real mistake to make. It's like, well, you know, I gave my life to the Lord years ago. I know it's all okay, so now I can go live in sin and do whatever I want, and I can reject Jesus Christ, and I can dismiss his word, and it's all okay. No, it's not. You don't have a single Bible verse for that. You, I, you may have it in your head, but you, you don't find that in the Bible. If you don't abide in Jesus, if you reject Jesus, if you cast him away, you don't have hope. And I say, well, maybe, what if I'm just backsliding? Okay, maybe you are. I don't know. Maybe you're going to come back. Okay, I would think if you're a believer, you're definitely coming back. But if you're just going to push him away and you're not going to feel the warning, I don't think that's faithful to this passage. But I tell you what I also don't think is helpful it's for people to think, well, I think maybe I, I, you know, I'm no longer saved because I sinned today. Um, you know, I got mad at the Lord. I don't think I'm saved anymore. I think he's done with me. There's no more sacrifice for sin. I can never be saved. That's not what this is teaching either. I think this is referring to those that want to go back to the law and offer up a bull or a goat or a lamb for their sin. He's like, there's no more sacrifice for sins over there, guys. It's only in Jesus. So to the person who would come and speak and say, I'm living in sin, I'm, you know, I'm deconstructing my faith, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm rejecting Jesus Christ as the only way, the truth and life for salvation, I think you need to be warned. You are warned. You're warned by the Lord today. You need to come back to him. If you're a person that's walking with the Lord and you find yourself hitting highs and hitting lows and, and it crushes you when you are in sin, listen, Walk with Jesus, but you're not the person I'm concerned about, nor do I think this passage is concerned with somebody that's just going through this process of sanctification. You know, some of you, you as you think about things in your walk with the Lord, you're always worried about whether or not you're saved. This is not the passage to turn to to try and figure that out. All right? The passage, there's a lot of other passages to turn to. This is talking to people that say we're done with Jesus. And if you're saying, oh, I'm not done with him, I just hope he's not done with me, you're fine. You're fine. If you are believing in him as your Lord and Savior, you're trusting in his sacrifice, you're okay. There's, that's where salvation is. But if you are trying to do it some other way, um, yeah, you need to come back to him or you need to come to him for the very first time. He writes passages. We have passages like this in Scripture. So we won't be led astray. So that we can hear a loving God warns his children. Now, some people don't like these warning passages. But have you ever been around a parent? <laughs> have you ever heard a parent talk to their kids? I mean, especially when they're young. There are so many warnings that parents are giving constantly. You know, sometimes it's to, you know, for their own safety or for the safety of the kids around. No, no, don't stick your finger in her eye. You know, I mean, it's like, you know, little kids, little toddler wanting to go for their little baby sister. It's like, ah, no, don't do that. You know, all kinds of warnings all the time to keep them safe because the parent loves them. Teenager starts driving, all kinds of warnings, all kinds of warnings, you know, Things to pay attention to. I, each, each time one of my kids, you know, first started driving, there was all kinds of, all right, before you go out, let me remind you of a few things. I know these things. You're going to hear them again. 
you're going to hear him again. And I want you to be alert. I want you to be aware. And, you know, all these different things that, that we do because we love them. Your father loves you, and he's warning you in this passage and letting you know of the need to remain in Jesus and to endure. And don't let anything or any pressure or anyone keep you away from your reward. When you are in heaven and you're walking the fullness of the promises of God, you're never going to regret what you said no to in this life. So Jesus is the way. And you know that. Keep on. Keep trusting in him. And if you've not made that decision, I pray you'll make it today. Father, we thank you for your word and how it so boldly speaks to us. Lord, I pray for those that have been entertaining this thought that maybe the faith that they were raised on Christianity is not really the only way and they're beginning to look into other isms and ideas and maybe even generating their own philosophy. Lord, I pray you would speak to them this morning and I pray they would recall the early days of their faith. I pray, Lord, that they would cling to your son and they wouldn't cling to anyone or anything else. If that's you and you need to come back and fully embrace the Lord again, then do that. If you are in need of some fortitude in your spiritual life, then tell the Lord, I need some fortitude. I need some endurance. I feel the winds blowing on me, Jesus. And I don't want to go anywhere else. Make me strong in you. Yeah, those around you aren't going to be happy about it. But that's not really the pleasure we're concerned about. We're concerned with him having pleasure in us on that last day. If you've never come to Christ, same thing. Come to Jesus. Ask him to cleanse you and to forgive you. He'll be happy to do that. That's why he died on the cross.